Medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome this podcast to guests, Dr. Michael Hufford, Dr. Eric Lagasse. The topic of today's discussion is etopic organogenesis, which is a mouthful, but I asked Dr. Lagasse to explain what this is. Hi, my name is Eric Lagasse. I'm an associate professor of pathology at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm also the chief scientific officer of a company called Lightgenesis. So my lab is interested in many different things. One particular interest is the generation of uh, ectopic organs. So in the course of many years of research, and particularly research towards cell-based therapy, and cell-based therapy directed into liver disease by transplantation of hepatocytes in model of liver disease and restoring liver function, we figured out a way of generating a liver but not a liver that would be where the liver should be, an ectopic liver. And we found this way by uh, transplanting cells into a lymph node and basically showing that when we transplant liver cells, hepatocytes into a lymph node, and the model has a liver disease, the hepatocytes in the lymph node are somehow connected with the native liver that is diseased. And basically will generate a liver, an ectopic liver, at the sites where they are, which are the lymph nodes. This is sort of an extraordinary phenomenon. It has two basically major drivers. One driver is liver that is highly regenerative and has the potential to regenerate. And the other thing is the lymph node that is a sort of a special environment because a lymph node is basically a structure of the immune system that nurture T-cells, which are lymphocytes. And when there's a need of more of these uh, lymphocytes, when they activate it, like T-cells, when they activate it, they are basically proliferating the lymph node. So the lymph node is sort of an in vivo bioreactor. And so when you put all the things together, which is transplanting now, liver cells or hepatocytes in the lymph node and having a liver disease where the liver really tried to regenerate. Uh, what happened is that the hepatocytes that are present in the lymph node will communicate to a certain extent with the liver and direct it through the native liver to generate liver tissues. And this would be an ectopic liver. And this ectopic liver, it's quite extraordinary because his uh, liver is not a mass of cells that just proliferate and sit there. It's actually cells that organize into a liver tissue, attract other cells from the body to help to generate this ectopic liver, and eventually form an ectopic liver that allow survival. Because when we did this experiment, we used a mouse model, a mouse model of tyrosinemia type 1, which is a model of uh, liver disease where this animal will die of the liver disease if they're not protected by a drug. So if you remove this drug, the animal enter into a liver disease and six or eight weeks down the line, they will die of liver disease. And so what we showed is that by transplanting hepatocytes in the lymph node of this animal, we generate an ectopic liver in the lymph node. So you have no more lymph node, you have an ectopic liver there. And this ectopic liver allows the survival of the animals. 
So that's basically was the beginning of many more studies to show how the system work, how plastic the system is, how many other type of cell we can do uh, using the same sort of system of generating other tissue and organ. And also moving into a more complex system like a large animal and show and demonstrate that we can also regenerate nectopic liver in the lymph node that will eventually restore liver function in these animals. And then move into another type of model, which was not the tarosinemic model, but having now a surgical procedure that would create a liver disease similar to what you would see in patient and show again that we originate an ectopic liver, showing the proof of concept that this ectopic liver is something that really work well. It can be developed in many different conditions. Fascinating development. As I understand this, this could potentially eliminate the need for a liver transplant. Is that correct? I wouldn't put it that way that it would eliminate liver transplants, but it would clearly be a major approach that would help a lot of patients of a need of liver transplant that may not be able to have a liver transplant that could have access to an approach like this. This is the beginning of a story, and I think most of our listeners know that what comes out of the laboratory is not necessarily ready for clinical practice. There's many more steps to go. That begins the story of your forming of Ligenesis. I've been Dr. Michael Hufford, who is Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of Ligenesis. Dr. Hufford, what is Ligenesis? Ligenesis is now a venture-backed biotech company. We've based on the work in Eric's lab at the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. We've been able to make tremendous strides with the help of our financial backing from venture capitalists. So we've had multiple meetings with the FDA now. And exactly to your point, the way many academic discoveries aren't ready to cross what is commonly referred to as the valley of death between academic discovery and being a valuable pharmaceutical drug development asset, Eric's very programmatic research at the McGowan Institute really enabled, he had done probably 80% of the IND enabling work that's required to get a drug into a patient in a clinical trial. So we started working together going on about four years now, have raised just about $18 million to date, just had our investigational new drug application cleared by the FDA late last year. So very excited about that. And also with the FDA's help and input, agreed that our first clinical trial is going to be in patients. So we're skipping the kind of phase one healthy normal stage and going straight into patients with end-stage liver disease and working very hard right now to get our phase 2A trial started that's going to be taking place at the Mass General Hospital at Harvard. So how many patients do you expect to enroll in this trial? This first trial is going to reflect the FDA's preference to start low and go slow, as they say. So this is a dose-ranging study. It's going to have three different cohorts of four patients each, and we're going to be dose-escalating the cells over time. I think, as, as Eric alluded to, I mean, one of the benefits of his approach, right, is that instead of one donated organ treating one patient, using this approach and by seeding the lymph nodes with these hepatocytes, one donated liver could treat up to 75 patients. So it really does have the potential to disrupt the supply demand calculus when it comes to organ 
donation in this country. And so we're very excited to be starting the trial. So this initial trial though, 12 patients in total within stage liver disease with escalating doses over three different cohorts. So we might as well ask the question, how does someone get considered for this trial? This trial is being recruited from a group of hepatologists in the Boston, New England area. In general, we've tried to select patients, and Paolo Fontes is our chief medical officer and worked for years both at the McGowan Institute and also with Dr. Tom Starzl at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And with his input, we've tried to select patients that have a model of end-stage liver disease score that is severe enough on the one hand to obviously qualify for end-stage liver disease, but we also want patients that are not at imminent risk of death. And so we've selected a moderate to moderate severe group of patients where there will be enough time, we hope, to rescue them from their liver disease. So, you know, this approach will never be a treatment for acute liver failure, right? So if the liver is just hours or days away from failing, this really won't be appropriate because you do need time for those hepatocytes to engraft and proliferate and vascularize and form the organogenesis that was the foundation of Eric's discovery in his lab. And so we're trying to select the right patients. And there's obviously both kind of science and art to that. There'll be a listing on clinicaltrials.gov. Yeah, it is up there now. So you go to clinicaltrials.gov. The best way to find it is just to search Ligenesis, our company name. That's the best way to find the trial. It has the full listing of inclusion, exclusion. I should also say just broadly, so obviously these are all patients with end-stage liver disease, but they are also ineligible for uh, transplantation. And that's one of the sort of unknown tragedies of the organ transplant list. Most people are aware of the drama and kind of you know genuine human tragedy when people make the list and then will die waiting, which happens to dozens of patients every day in the US as they die awaiting an organ to become available. What a lot of people don't realize is that at least in the case of liver, for every one patient that makes the list, at least one, if not more than one, don't qualify because of medical comorbidities. They simply wouldn't survive the procedure. So that's the group that we're initially targeting with the FDA's approval for our target indication, our patients ineligible to otherwise receive an organ. So that also helps with the risk benefit profile, which is always top of mind for the FDA, right? Is they don't care so much about the novelty of your therapy. They care much more about patient safety. And so you have to balance that risk benefit. So in in our case, these are patients ineligible to otherwise be considered for a a liver transplant. Dr. Hubbard, what's the rest of the story? After a phase two trial, you need to do a phase three trial. Is that correct? Yeah, so this phase 2A is dose ranging. We've actually already met with the FDA a couple of times and have done a lot of work designing the phase 2B trial that will be a more traditional blinded safety and efficacy study. And then depending on the results of the phase 2B, there's something at the FDA known as the Regenerative Medicine Advanced Therapy designation. It's a mouthful, but that was Dr. Scott Gottlieb's initiative to accelerate regenerative medicine's approval. So The extent to which we are able, which we obviously hope, to rescue these patients from their end-stage liver disease, there's obviously the potential for an accelerated approval based on the phase 2B data. If not, then we would absolutely proceed with phase 3 and march forward with there and with some of the funds we've raised pursuing the other discoveries that Dr. Gass made in his lab that the lymph node is this wonderful site, not just for hepatocytes, but also for pancreatic beta cells and renal tissue and and ectopic thymus as well. Dr. Lagasse, that's a good transition for us to talk a little bit about these other possible therapies. Can you share a little bit more detail about 
some of these other applications? What we have shown and demonstrated is that not only you can do hepatocytes for the self-suspension into the lymph node and generate an ectopic liver, but you can also generate other organs. The one that is sort of similar to the liver is a pancreatic islet, for example. We have shown and demonstrated that pancreatic islet transplanted into the lymph node works very well. One of the major, the importance of the site for pancreatic islet is vascularization. And we have shown that the lymph node is an extraordinary site for transplanted cell or tissue in terms of vascularization. And so, of course, the islets work very well. A more complicated approach uh, would be for thymus and kidney tissues. With thymus, we show and demonstrated that you can transplant thymus tissues and generate a fully functional thymus in the lymph node. We have shown that in the context of an animal model that has no thymus in the body, and we show that it works really well. We have also shown that if you take a normal animal that has its own thymus, and let's say this animal is an aging animal, you can transplant a young thymus, and this young thymus will start to produce its own T-cells, while the old thymus is trying still to produce some of the T-cells. So it could be an approach for aging, and uh, reboosting, so to speak, uh, the immune system. Finally, we have shown and demonstrated that if you take kidney tissues into the lymph node, that tissue will develop into a fully functional kidney tissue that will produce urine with a fully formed nephron, which is also something very exciting. So all these different programs are basically on standby mode and will progress into a full-fetched program as soon as we have more fun to work on that. So Dr. Glagas and Dr. Hufford, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us this fascinating story about a pathway that started over 10 years ago in Dr. Glagas's lab. And its pioneering research has transitioned into a potential clinical application. And I congratulate both of you and wish you well in your future endeavors. Thank the McGowan Institute for Genetic Medicine, who sponsors this podcast series. And until we meet again, thank you. 